I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. Last week was a bit like... I felt like it was a bit of a dead week for me last week. I don't know. Did your portfolios recover last week or not? A little bit. Yeah? I mean, yeah. Because uh, I'm in the mining, Bitcoin mining stuff. Uh, that's been stable-ish. Oh, Jesus. Bitcoin this weekend ish. has been yeah, ridiculous, isn't it? I never even thought about that. Yeah. So I think that's kind of a, been a weird hedge for me. It's just interesting looking at the, you know, the, the way it um, functions as a, as a stock. I'm talking about Argo blockchain now. Um, as compared to a lot of my other stocks uh, in the invest account. It's done relatively decent, I guess. But yeah, I'm just going to keep an eye on it. Well, yeah, like this week, I think this weekend, Bitcoin's hit like 60 grand now, $60,000. That's a huge one. And I've been doing my technical analysis on it and it went really well, went way too well. <laughs> it Does, predicted you know, it pretty much word for word. So uh, my my proof of technical analysis being absolute crap is um <laughs> it's really going out the window at the moment because <laughs> but i think i always say that bitcoin is down to stupid human behavior so it's all down to the behavior of humans right now because it i still believe that it doesn't have any real underlying fundamentals bitcoin so i um, still don't i'll be honest with you and i'm still in it but it's it's, it's um, just because it's not measurable yet it, it will be one day and i don't even think gold's got any real underlying fundamentals so um, yeah, this is all a bit of stupid human behavior, but did did you get any good stuff on the tech rebound last week? Because I, I did. I, on my little Broadcom and KLA and stuff, they all flew up, um, and they're not even the massive tech stocks. Uh, and you guys, Steve D and Zach, are into a lot of tech, right? Yeah, I got yep. a nice a nice jump. I, I pulled uh, about 20% of the money that I lost in the Ether back. Um, so that was quite nice to see. It was pretty much green across the board. Um, the couple of spacks, I mean, they're they're still they're still lagging behind. I think it still feels like that that's a market that's ready to come back. Um, I think it just needs a big a big merger. There's been a lot of trash over the last couple of weeks in the merger. I don't think there's been a good company announced. So just keeping an eye out for for a big one. Or did or does it just need like some massive? injection of money from somewhere and some big entity does it need something like that i don't know maybe about (laughs) 1.9 trillion maybe just injected into the system so loads of kids can start getting back into spacs is that what you're thinking maybe yeah just feed it into the spac vending machine um but just hopefully (laughs) into my spacs that'd be great yeah that's it it's um yeah 1.9 trillion is is all going to go into spacs that's it and it, it might do to be fair i think, I think there was an av- there, there was a figure out there that was saying that half of everyone's stimulus check in the us is going to go into um the stock market and everyone so we should expect monday to just go Ooh, it, it feels like a, a logical time for companies to announce doesn't it um stimulus in back pockets money ready to be spent on monday morning it feels like a logical time for maybe maybe bill ackman to say hey i got stripe or 
I got Starlink yeah. or, or or I got Subway. Um, we'll see. Yes, Subway's Subway. not your favourite for Bill Ackman. I, I, I think Bill Ackman's an asshole. Um, he's as bad as Chamath, really. Uh, Chamath, paper, paper hands Chamath. I'm always going to call him up 50% on the S&P 500. Bill right did. Now. Hey? <laughs> Bill did well with the Burger King, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he time. did. Yeah. He did terribly with Herbalife, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's just it, it, with these guys it's just like oh let's just sing about our winners and uh hate on the um the losers really yeah you just don't hear about <laughs> but it. that's what happens on yeah. wall street isn't it i mean you, you're supposed to kind of shout when you're winning because you have to sell things you sell things to make money if you don't yeah, shout about I it, when it happens on youtube winning, as well no one else is gonna do it for you i suppose it happens on youtube yep, as and well if, you uh, only shout when you're winning and if you're not winning, you just keep quiet and disappear and someone else comes in and shouts and starts taking your place. <laughs> yeah. Then- and, that's what, and that's what I need to think about is, um, personally for me, like emotional um, st- stability in the market. When you've got all these buggers in, on CNN all bashing around and then you've got all the rest of them on YouTube bashing around, you've really got to keep your eye on the prize and you've uh, and really got to control your emotions. And... For me, this week um, was really, really important because I hit my first goal of um, filling my ISA this week, um, which is a huge one for me. I've, I've hit the 20,000 or I've hit 1,999.51. I think I must have transferred something in and it oh, I didn't get the full 20,000. I also withdrew 60 <laughs> quid as well for a test on a previous video, which... Meant I haven't <laughs> filled it completely, which is annoying. But that was what my first goal of this um, of this year to just basically learn how to save and learn how to continuously and consistently invest. And that that was my first aim for this year. And next year is going to be well learning out learning about how to invest. Long term, I want to make my life a bit easier. And today, what I wanted to ask you guys because. It's. I think it's really important to get an idea of where you guys are coming from. I want to know what you guys want to get out of investing because for me, it's a bit more freedom and a bit more, uh, well, I want to make some money. I don't want a big Lambo and stuff like that, but I just want to, I want to live nicely. Where, where are you guys coming from with investing? So I think I'm pretty much the same as you really. Mine's, <clears throat> mine's about freedom, freedom from work. Um, I sort of want work to be optional for me. Um, not that I particularly love work in any way, but I, I feel like it's it's something good to, to pass the time, really. Uh, and, and that's what I want it to be. I don't want it to be something I have to do. I want it to be something I choose to do. Um, but unfortunately, in modern life, there's quite a lot of things in the way. Um, mortgages, um, cars, phones, what have you. But it would be really nice to get the vast majority of that covered, paid off and done young, Um you know, so that when when I do have children, that or if we have children, that we'll be able to um, spend more time with them and um, bring them up myself. That's that's really my goals. My goals are really simple. I don't have figures in mind. Um, I think I'll I'll know when I get there. I think yeah. I just want to touch on that because you talked about children, and that's been something that's been on my mind recently because I've got two kids now, two very young kids, and um, I'm noticing with this YouTube channel right now and um my normal job uh, i work basically four days a week i work 48 hours a week i do every single week non-stop and it's really hard as well 
And I'm finding that I'm not spending as much time with my kids as I want to right now. And I need to address that balance. And I think for me, uh, the investing idea, even though it's probably going to take me 10 years, um, it just makes it feel like this could be possible that I could eventually spend a bit more time with my kids. And that's, that's a big one for me. And I think if you've not got kids right now, it might be something to put in place prior to you actually having kids because you don't you don't understand until you until you've done it and i didn't i was one of those people who said i'd never have kids and kids are idiots and i and, and i still hate my kids they're assholes they're they're real assholes and <laughs> i said that affectionately obviously but they are they are horrible horrible people and, but um yeah it's just something that that's been bugging me recently and i've been getting very exhausted recently so yeah, one of my goals with that would be to spend time with the kids. I think most people are going to have financial freedom and things on their minds. What you got, Steve W? What's what's your goal with investing? I guess kind of financial freedom, but I'm not particularly thinking of retiring early or, or anything like that. I mean, I have a job that I really quite like doing, but I don't think I want to do it forever. I think there'll come a time when I'm sort of in my 60s when I think, I've taught this course. Uh, so I teach in higher education. Uh, I've taught this course uh, must be about 180 times now or so. Uh, that'll probably do. Um, and the thing that kind of keeps me going in investing and the thing that I really see myself as working towards is basically driven out of a worry about pensions. Um, I, you wouldn't know much about our kind of uh, pensions and the way that our sector's set up, but the news about them is never good. The news about state pensions is never good. It feels to me like people in kind of my generation in my kind of industry really need to try and grab hold of taking responsibility for their retirement and this is my way of trying to do that i'm not in a hurry um i don't have a particular target in mind i'm not particularly wanting to force anything but it feels like i need to try and make moves towards getting myself into a decent position by the time i'm sort of 65 say otherwise other pensions aren't going to do it for me do you, find, do you guys find you started a little bit late and in this journey and you've only just really started thinking about it? I think I'd feel like I'd always started late, to be honest. First, I mean, well, unless I was how, in the... How f- uh, well, let's think unless I was in the position of... Um, how <laughs> far through this... Sorry, I think you're lagging a little bit, Steve. Um Sorry. Uh, how how far through this are you, are you guys? How far into it? Because everybody knows, everybody knows how far I am into it. I am so new to this, and I am working my ass off to try and increase my spending or my savings rate. I'm working really hard to just try and make it to fifty and not die. Basically, um, how far are you guys into it? And this is just be good for the listeners to know how. Where we where we all are in the, in our sort of journey into achieving our goals with investing, um, yeah. So I'm about stuff. eight. I'm about eight years into it. Um, I, I was investing privately uh, before that period, but actually investing. I, I started off just investing in ETFs and funds, which I think is how probably most people start, and then I brought I broadened out into. I used to really like investing in startup companies. So I used things like Crowdcube and I used Cedars. It's where I got my shares in Monzo and Chip and Dozens and companies like that. Um, and then I, once I felt like I had a feel for really understanding accounts, I did a bit of accounts at uni as well. So 
I, I, I know my way around basic accounting. Uh, I started to look at stocks, uh, and stocks is probably my favourite place out the lot. I feel like you can learn a lot with stocks, and you, you actually really can understand businesses through it. So that's where I am at the moment. I, I, I withdrew a, a fair amount of my portfolio. I pretty much halved it um, to pay off a chunk of my mortgage, um, which was really not not advisable if you if you're following strict financial rules most people probably even here will say forget your mortgage if you're if you're paying well we was paying less than two percent and you can earn eight eight percent on your stocks there's just no reason to pay for your mortgage but for us it was about feeling more secure um especially financially my um my partner had to have a period of time off work and um we basically drained off the emergency fund in that point and it was really weird. It was an odd feeling at that point because you've drained your emergency fund and you think, if we weren't paying this mortgage, that emergency fund would have lasted three times as long. So for us, the security of paying off that mortgage, it's a very personal thing. That's why they call it personal finance probably. But the security of paying that mortgage off would have made a huge difference in that period. So that then became our goal. Get rid of the mortgage. Unfortunately, we're about to take on another one. So that's not gone very well. <laughs> um, but if we get the mortgage paid off... Um, even in our early early forties, late thirties, early forties, that will be a marvelous achievement for us. Um, and at that point, we can really sort of power down on on savings and 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 get ready to retire or get ready to reduce our hours. Um, but it depends. You you may change your mind when you get to that point. Like you may be like Paul, and you might hate your kids, and you might want to um, have to want to go to work five days a week. <laughs> to to be honest with you, I've been thinking about this recently as well. This has been playing on my mind this week as well because. With the state of the stock market right now, and this is horrible to think because this is the emotions and things creeping in of me thinking, okay, the S&P 500 is stupidly overvalued at the moment. It's at tech bubble levels. It's at 2008 bubble, uh, bubble levels. Um, is my money really going to achieve that 8% to 10, 8 to 10% every year, year on year, or is it more likely going to be 5% or god forbid it's even worse for the next 30 years so with me having that sort of 20 odd grand in the markets right now and me possibly having you know another 20 next year that could pay off an incredible amount of my mortgage almost leave me sort of mortgage free and i need to consider that i need to think i i need to think to myself would i feel better if my house was paid off and i knew no one could take that off me and then at the same time i'd be taking off pretty much half of my expenses it would be and it would be over half of my monthly expenses and i would have so much more money to then very quickly add in but then on the other hand i think about compounding i think about time i think about not time in the market all that sort of thing so we come to this dilemma and i'm facing this dilemma at the moment um so it's good to know that other people feel it as well and it's very important i just want to touch on that because you uh, you skipped over something very important uh, just there because mortgage rates are at about two to three percent. You can easily get a mortgage at two to three percent, but everybody knows that we can put our essentially we can put our money into an S and P five hundred index, and apparently we will earn between eight and ten percent year on year forever as long as we keep it in for a really long time and. That's the maths, right? We're talking maths there. We're saying that our house is 3%. If we pay off that, it's a guaranteed 3% uh, gain in our money because we're not paying off the interest over the, over the 25 or 30 year period. 
But when it gets to the market, you could actually earn eight, ten percent, even higher, maybe, um, if it's really good. If we continue going through a massive bull run, so we're talking the maths, but it's important, like we say, with personal finance. It's got to be about what makes you comfortable. And I'm going through the same thing. I am really am. Uh, Zach, where are you in your investing goal? Where Where are you? Um, <clears throat> started off as a dividend investor. <laughs> lasted, lasted a month. <laughs> Oh, that's it. Um, Giving it time to compound now. <laughs> Give it a lot of time to compound. Yeah, got, got, got my... that 20p through and thought, <laughs> bollocks to this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, uh, so yeah, bought my Yorkie uh, chocolate bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I started off investing quite late, and I know Paul, you touched up on this because you did ask um, whether, because I'm 30 years old now, is that too late? I don't think it is. I mean, I did. Do you know when you first start up and you think, okay, I'm putting £100 in every month, as that's what most people would say, right? Oh, I just put £100 in, because that's what I did with Fondsmith. And then I and then I started putting in £1,000 after like six months. And then Steve D told me that it's a lot, it's a lot different um, gaining... Um, money when you have loads of thousands of pounds in your portfolio say for example five percent on 30 grand is a lot more than say five on on 100 pound so i thought okay let's start that and then once that came into effect i thought okay maybe maybe one day i can pay off my mortgage and i think it is a case of now chasing that kind of aspiration but then i realized like you said that's three but that's actually that it's one point nine four percent for me at the moment mm. for the next five years because it's uh, fixed and you know like I said S and P is what eight percent over the last forty years on average I think it is. Um, will I will I actually cash out? I don't think I will. I'll probably just keep going. But yeah. um, and it brought me on to more riskier stocks now. I mean I'm in small caps now and these are sub sub one billion pounds and I think. Because I've made a bit more than I initially had thought um, last, because I only joined the market last last January. Um, funny story, I bought um, a Tesla and then I sold it for eighty pound profit, and it was the best feeling ever because it was my first. <laughs> it was my first trade, and what what another another point was it crashed from nine hundred I think to, to three hundred, and I got out at eight fifty, and it was the best feeling. I thought I thought my uh, economics uh, seminars uh, paid off eventually, right? So. <laughs> So, so it, it come come Jan, June and you know July, I started going to SPACs and now small cap and stuff. And I think it's done a lot better than I had thought. So I'm continuing kind of challenging myself now with trying to pick the really good small companies that I'm going to give a lot of time to. I mean, there's there's no reason why you can't consider that because we've. I mean, last year was a bit of an anomaly, so a lot of people are going to be very overconfident, and uh, I don't think you're one of the ones that are going to be so overconfident that they think they're going to earn 100% returns every year. But when mm. you're looking into your small caps, and uh, I've heard a lot of people say it shouldn't be too hard to earn 30% in a year when you're trading or at least investing in those small caps. Yeah, I think with small caps, it's a case of how long are you in you know the market because anyone can trade 30 percent if it went up a day but whether you can you know last it 
through all, all the you know the trouts and you know increases it's a different thing i think if you really believe in a the company then it's a, that's, that's investing otherwise you're just trading aren't you if you're doing it daily um yeah. so with these small caps i'm investing so i've got i've been in for these way longer than you know normally people do uh stay in these so so yeah so yeah small caps sub one billion hopefully i can pay my mortgage off and go part-time i think the other app wants to go part-time as well but here's the thing because we're both working full-time as well like you paul it's, it's on all of us i guess I think it's just a case of uh, trying to reduce the hours if you if you make it. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's certainly sub- that's that's the idea. I I don't see me quitting the job that I'm at, but I do hate it right now because it it's too much. It's um and I know a lot of people out there probably do hate their job as well. And I don't think any of you three actually hate your job. Um, I'm I I I do. <laughs> so is that is that is, that is that just is that a lot of people in the NHS though? Is that I think general? it I think because it is, uh, uh, and you can start getting into politics and stuff after that. But it's just really, really hard, and I can't stress how hard it is right now. It's just really, really sort of mind numbing at the moment. Um, you you don't feel like you're there to do what you want to do. Uh, but I don't think I'd ever leave. But I just want to do less, and I think that's a big. I think that's a big thing because uh, I did a survey on the YouTube um, uh, posts uh, feature and loads of people came back with the same thing. They came back that they, they don't necessarily want to retire. I don't think anyone really, really wants to retire or even retire early. But this idea of work optional to want to sometimes work or choose when you want to work or just work a little bit less because I think I think in general we're being worked to the bone i i really do i think the world has just got too used to just being a worker that that's 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 what life is now it's just being a worker and i think we need to change that and i think this is one of the ways we can unfortunately i think investing won't work if everyone gets the same idea though i think that's uh, no one will be there to work for the businesses who earn us the money to make our capital appreciations and that's the iffy system that we're in at the moment and yeah i don't know where i'm going with that but i think you know um amongst this is weird now because this is something that i'd probably be able to tell you only and unless you meet someone else uh same kind of uh culture i guess you know um a lot of asians invest their money in rental properties and and physical gold we we have physical gold in the five figures like a lot um now naturally if we weren't in the stocks we would have kept buying physical gold when prices were low um and you know saving up 13 to 15 grand buying a 60k property in two bedroom and just renting it out and just keep going on that and just waiting 25 years till it pays off i guess but i mean for me to go into stocks into the stock market was a completely kind of a weird thing because a lot of my family don't think the stock market it's you know that place to be where you to put your money in because you can lose it all and stuff so they think the guaranteed thing is you know rental properties it has to be safe are you sure you know you know what you're doing so yeah uh when i did tell my uh when i indicated to my uh, to my dad and he's like oh what but then when he heard about bitcoin and elon musk <laughs> trying to school me like whether i know what bitcoin is and he said to me <laughs> funny story he said to me i got to him um do you know what bitcoin is he goes 
Do you know what Bitcoin is? I goes, yeah, he goes, okay then, quick question. Who bought 1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin? I goes, are you serious? I goes, are you serious? <laughs> but yeah, shoe shine so, um, boys. Shoe shine boys are lot, everywhere at the moment. That's what's the problem. A lot of, the problem. I'm a shoe shine boy, you know? But like, you know, like, it's, it's weird because now my dad thinks that, you know, buying Bitcoin, because if my brothers buy Bitcoin, then they're going to be okay now because, you know, like, Bitcoin only goes up apparently, right? So, so yeah, a lot more people are getting into this, and I think we're just part of that system as well. I agree with a lot yeah, of that. I, I mean, my I, family's I touching that because you brought up a really good thing about families not understanding stocks and the stock market. Um, is that a UK thing? Because I think the US are much more open to being on the stock market and buying uh, things, um, particularly you know, in for people I know, and this is what my whole YouTube channel is based around. It, no one in my life has ever told me how to buy a stock or even talked about stocks. They just say it's either really risky or someone made a freaking load of uh, money on buying like YOLO into this one stock all those years ago. Are we seeing a bit of an awakening in the UK on stocks and people really taking control of their finances? I think we are. I mean, my I family mean, are quite are similar to Zach's. I'll, yeah. Uh, so my family are quite similar to Zach's in the sense that they tend to back sort of real estate, um, at least in theory, as a kind of asset class. And the idea of renting it out and generating money like that, they regard the stock market as kind of either boom or bust, basically, um, and are quite worried about a bust in there, which is, I guess, fair enough. I mean, I get the impression that they're of a generation that just didn't have access to quite as good information about stocks and what the stock market does. And in fairness to them... I mean, what I would say is the same thing we say to everyone who's not really sure about something, which is don't buy stuff you don't understand. And they don't understand it. And as such, are I think, kind of rightly risk averse. I mean, from their perspective anyway. I um, I once brought up the um, discussion of gold. And this is where my family kind of clicked on. I was investing in stocks because they said, hang on, do you do you follow the gold market? I mean, you know, because my other half has the gold, right? Because I don't really buy the gold. And um, I goes, yeah, I do. She goes, they go, oh, um, do you buy stocks? I goes, okay. I didn't really want to tell anyone, but here we go. <laughs> yes, I do. I bought Tesla and I've got loads. That's what I said to my family. <laughs> they think I'm rich now. By... <laughs> 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 um my 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 dad was um he was an investor but he never really spoke about it and i never really understood why until he showed me his portfolio uh, and it's essentially like the world's crappiest uk banks and royal sun and alliance straight after us no wonder he didn't tell me about it because those companies have literally nothing to talk about yeah because he doesn't really and and I'll, I'll tell you what that's really interesting because no one really knows about stocks and like you say no one's people are buying into these stocks and they don't quite know what they are they're on about and particularly a generation previous to us haven't ever spoken about the stock market even the FTSE 100 they they haven't spoken about it. but their pensions are all involved in the stock market and no one understands what their pensions are doing i i mean i hate to talk about it but like my, my my dad uh, has lost a lot of money over the course of his lifetime because companies have just taken his pension away or they've sold out at the wrong point uh, um, on his pension and he's had absolutely no control about uh, over it and I've, I now understand what I'm doing I, I think 
over the past year, I have developed um, a level of competence to say I could probably pick some pretty good ETFs or I could I could probably pick some to fit within a certain risk profile. I could pick a good amount of funds or ETFs to work in. And I've and I've managed to go through and look and, you know, my parents go, so what does this one do? And I'm like, well, you know, it is kind of this heavily into bonds. Um, we really don't want to be there right now. Um, risk averse wise, you know, you, you're probably taking more risk with the bond at the moment. Um, and it's amazing to think that they don't know and they are just going to these financial advisors and they're putting them in, Oh mate, they're putting them in some serious stuff. There have been some some good stuff, you know. Half of it's basically SMT. The other half is like um, Bail Gifford uh, Income FTSE <laughs> fund. And you think, oh my god, the companies that are going to be in that are ridiculous. They do and that with things like Nutmeg, though, don't they? As well, have you ever used Nutmeg for investing? You end up just getting stuck yes. in like eighteen hundred ETFs. Uh, bond funds like oh do you do you want to invest in argentina like no um but yeah, you end up with all this kind of like just this big mismatch of, of of funds and and i remember when i when i left nutmeg i thought oh, i'll write down all these funds because maybe there'll be something of use in there when i actually wrote down what they all were and, and went and looked at them all they were all they were all trash it was just stuff you wouldn't dream of like i, I thought when you think of a hedge fund manager, you don't think of some guy sitting there thinking like, "Oh, we better put not point one three percent of the you know the Nigerian income fund in this guy's portfolio." That just doesn't seem that doesn't ring true to me. I don't. I just don't understand who builds these portfolios. But then you get the the funds like and I, I'm going to name check St James's Place as one of them. Now, I was looking through their some of their options for their funds. Some of their funds they charge. 2.4%, 2.7% for fees. That, that's almost predatory in this day and age. And people will pay that because they think they're getting St. James's Place. Obviously, they're listed on the FTSE. They're quite a sort of prestigious company. And and it, it turns out that they, they are literally the dogs of investing. If you look at their do, their funds, they have the most dogs out of any fund going. It's an actual award, that, by the way, if anybody doesn't know. I'm not just, <laughs> not just coming up with something. If, you, if your fund does shit, you get a fund called a dog. Right, and they have loads of them, and they win them every year. Yeah, yeah, and um, this is this is interesting because I've seen this, and I've actually spoken to some um, mutual fund managers, not through this, I just people I sort of know day to day who I just didn't know, <laughs> like did or what they did before I started all this. Uh, so now I'm sort of talking to them, and some of them genuinely think that they are these amazing uh, placeholders uh, they are investing in the right places they they're doing all this stuff on the behalf of people but the the really smart ones the ones who i really respect their opinion they just say to me we're salesmen we we are just salesmen we're not allocating any funds properly um we are just trying to pick some relatively safe stuff or some relatively risky stuff depending on what fund they're trying to sell that day and then they're trying to sell it and that's something that you need to be worried about when you're picking mutual funds and fund managers some of them do very well obviously you know even arc invest would be an example of this but yeah even they say it themselves these fund managers they've said it to me personally uh, they've said we're just salesmen we just need your fees and that's what mm. we're trying to do we're trying to build the best case for you to invest in our fund and 
that was a big eye opener to me that was um we've got a bit off topic there uh i know you, someone was probably going to follow up on that but uh, we're about half an hour into this now uh, <laughs> i didn't see that going off but i thought that was a, i thought it was an excellent discussion just to find out where we are as investors and we're all at different sort of stages you know uh steve d is uh, steve d and zach are a lot further along than say what i am um and they're a lot closer to their goal. But I think in general, we've all got a very similar goals to just make our lives a little bit easier in, in its own way. And it's through personal finance. It's through, you know, making it comfortable if you want to pay off your mortgage. Uh, and also, if you just want to make money, you know, if you want to live free. I've, I've personally set a goal in my uh, portfolio of only 250 grand. I've worked out that if I can get to 250 grand, that pays for my mortgage every single month. So I've included my mortgage in what would be my FI number. I don't like to call it the f because I'm not into the fire principle idea. I'm, it's kind of the financial independence or the, the work optional number or the work less number, which I'm kind of calling it, of 250 grand. If I can make it to that, and I pr probably could make it to that in uh, 10 years, then... I, you know, that's where I see it. I see my life getting a little bit easier. But we'll move on because um, basically we're just going to, for the second half of this, we're just going to talk about stocks. Um, any particular stocks that anyone likes at the moment. Um, I think, first of all, uh, Coinbase IPO is coming out. First of, uh, first of all on that, I mean, we can talk about Coinbase straight away, but should we talk about IPOs in general? Do we, as a consensus of between the within the first four of us, do we think IPOs are a good investment in general? What do you think? I don't. I think um, we're the last to, you know, get put into the into the share pool, and I, I don't. I don't particularly like that aspect. I think that's why people buy spacs because they're earlier in the in the process. If, if you wanted something to be mad at. Um, IPOs is something you should be mad at. Um, essentially, a company will say, "We think." You know, we think we're worth $20 and the bank who are issuing will say, put it on for 30, put it on for 30, that maybe 35, we'll go 35. And then the day before they'll go, uh, that company that was a bit like you, they did okay. They did, they did a big pop. So we'll, we'll put you on for 45 <laughs> and then it launches to institutional investors and not to you. And for two to four hours, the price raises from 45 to 70 then it's your turn to buy in, at which point Trading 2 on 2 well, crashes. Well, if you're on Trading 2 on 2, if you're on Trading 2 on 2, end of day at best. End, it, it ends up executing at 470. Yeah. And, then, um, and, then, <laughs> and then people buy and sell and they got enough to, to buy um, two ice creams. Yeah, and it's absolutely <laughs> mad though. I mean, Steve and I used to play IPOs for a kebab. That was the idea. If you want enough money to buy two kebabs, then you, you know, that that was just a yeah. bit of fun. And we, we, we did, did it. I think we we did lemonade. really well on lemonade. I think we got yes. nearly. I think we nearly got eight kebabs each. <laughs> I, I was I bummed. Yeah, well. but that's kind of the point uh, here. There, I got. They're trades, not investments, right? I mean, our idea is we're going to buy them and then we're going to sell them. And we don't really care what happens to the business in between the time that we buy and sell them. Probably because there isn't enough time for anything to happen to the business in any meaningful way between the time that we buy them and sell them. 
So, I mean, they're trades and no doubt they're profitable trades for some people, right? I'm not saying there's no way to do IPOs profitably. From an investment perspective, in the kind of strict sense of investment, where you're interested in stuff like cash flows and revenue growth and all that kind of thing, I, I don't see IPOs as particularly attractive at the time that they IPO. Obviously, everything IPOs. I mean, take Roblox point, right? but, from last yeah. week. Uh, it was supp- Yeah, I mean, take Roblox from last week. It's, uh, what did that IPO at? Like $20 something? Did it? $50. $50. I think maybe institutionally it was uh, a little bit lower. But, I I mean, I I don't know the price. Can I quickly Google it at Roblox? (laughs) It's got to be ridiculous, isn't it? Roblox. I thought it was through 70 by the time it got to us. Yeah, I think it was was meant to go at 25, I think. And it got up to 35 and then... Ended up being seventy by the time we got we got seventy. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, you see, you see where, you know, this is weird because you know it's the only kind of time where people know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be a wow. dump somewhere at some time. Yeah, there's, there's two. This go say there's two investors I really sort of like trust for this, and it's it's the both from the Motley Fool, and it's Brian Feroldi and uh, David Gardner, and they both say the same thing: buying something or IPO is is stupid. You shouldn't do it. You know, unless it's for a super rare occasion, they advise to wait two quarters because a company being private and a couple being public are two completely different things. And they say two quarters is enough time for you to assess how that company has transitioned from private to public and then begin to assess the company. So you put it on your watch list, watch it and um, then assess it after you've seen two quarters of growth. But the problem with that is, is that that was fine two years ago, 10 years ago. At the moment, the IPOs have been priced so high that it generates so much FOMO. Snowflake was one that we thought was going to go live at 125. And at 125, there wouldn't have been many of us looking at that business saying, that's overpriced, but that is a very exciting business at that price. And then... When it came live to us, I think it was nearly 300. It was it was in 270s or something like that. And at which point you were like, well, what a waste of a morning watching that just sail out of view. <laughs> of course, Charlie Munger's uh, been very outspoken on IPOs, even though they bought into uh, Snowflake at the time, but they've been very outspoken about it. They say, why would you buy into something that has got all the news behind it, all the hype behind it, and a lot of pent-up demand ready to go it's just you you're just asking for a cocktail of premium there um like you said two quarters sounds good actually i've, I've not seen brian ferrari say that but uh two two quarters sounds good with all that information in mind what uh what's our uh prospects for coinbase is that this week i i, I don't know the date for coinbase i don't think it's this week but i know it's soon uh and the yeah, rumor is that it's gonna go uh, be priced and that's priced before it reaches retail at a hundred billion um on wow. fairly fairly pretty much a billion in revenue and it did make a profit you'll be pleased to know value investors uh, it made a profit of half a million um so you will be buying a company at a ridiculous pe and a hundred times sales that's done a billion in revenue and has a hundred billion valuation um does, it, does anybody want to buy that? No, thank you. No, thank you. Probably uh, not. I'm sure no. the Bitcoin lot will love. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the Bitcoin lot are going to be all over that, to be honest, aren't they? But I'm just reading. Um, it was, according to Crutch, Crutchbase, the company was worth $8 billion in 2018. Mm. 
eight billion. And did he say it's hundred billion now? Yeah, the valuation is rumored to be a hundred billion. <laughs> In the span, I mean, of it's a profitable business. It's a profitable business, and if Bitcoin and all those sorts, of tra- yeah. but surely, surely, if, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other altcoins become really, really popular, they'll just trade on Cash App and on um, PayPal and stuff like that. So, where's Coinbase's moat here? Is, is there much of a moat other? Than, I mean, it's not even the the moat is that the um, institutions prefer to use them because they can um they can buy using an algorithm that doesn't move the market so for instance if you had like 10 billion that you wanted to convert into um into bitcoin coinbase can do it in such a manner that you don't end up paying like a huge fee and they obviously charge an institution a different fee to what they would charge retail and yeah. um, actually just as a side note if you if you don't really know about crypto and, and you want to learn about crypto the S1 of Coinbase is is excellent in the same way that Coinbase really tries to educate its users about all the different coins. It actually tries to educate the user about all the different crypto terminology in the S1. Um, so it's actually a, a really decent read. There's even a glossary, which I mean, like, have you ever heard of a glossary in an S1? Like, these are the terms we're going to use, and these are what this is what they mean. This is definitely a marketing play. They're trying to build authority. You know, trying to be the go-to for crypto and i think mm-hmm. they have to if they're gonna ipo i was gonna say um with these guys dips because i was reading and they've survived this long because they're super efficient and they've kind of um placed a priority on securing customers personal data mm. i think the second point is really really important because there was a case i don't know if anyone remembers but in um 2014 there was the world's largest bitcoin exchange it's similar to coinbase's now and it was based in japan and it collapsed after a major hacking incident it was called uh, mark cox and it was handling back then around 70 percent of global bitcoin trade so it was massive and get this now it lost it lost seven hundred and forty four thousand four hundred and eight customers bitcoins and in today's value that's about 45 billion and hundred thousand of its own bitcoin worth about six billion now imagine if this kind of company went into into IPO, right? Um, so Bitcoin at that point um, dropped from seventeen point five dollars. So this was when he was in his teens uh, to one cent per coin. This was in <laughs> this was June nineteenth, twenty one. I think it was one of those years where you know the OG investors they actually knew, um, you know, they marked it on their calendar because it was so um, unprecedented. But um, it did. It did take years for you know the owners to to get prosecuted uh, for negligence with security because they knew about the security flaws. But that's massive, and I think Coinbase is one of those where um, it's extremely um, secure. And I think a lot of like what Steve D said, the institutions are flocking to this place because of that. Yeah, they actually call that out in the S one. They they say that they are the most. They they think that they're most the most secure platform for crypto. They they call out that they're one of the only major platforms to never have any kind of hacking incident or customer um, data release or, or or any of those kind of things. So they basically talk about how their security was. Uh, sorry, their platform is security first, and then exchange later. There's quite a few interesting other tidbits in there as well that it might be interesting to people who like the um, I think the altcoins in there. In that Coinbase don't actually, there isn't really an exchange for altcoins. So for the vast majority of them, because they're so they have such poor liquidity, Coinbase actually holds altcoins on its balance sheet, and 
when you buy one, you're not buying it off an exchange, you're buying it off Coinbase. And in some cases, Coinbase is buying it off you. So there is quite a, it is quite an interesting thing, really. If if any of these, I don't, I don't know if you call them shite coins, but that's what I was going to call them. But if any of them might like, really shoot up in value, the the likelihood is is that Coinbase will have a certain amount of them on its balance sheet already, which it's obviously bought cheaper. So they'll gain in capital appreciation from the coin, and then they'll get to sell them immediately on the hype at the same time. So and, 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 and fees both sides, yeah. And fees yeah, both yeah, sides. And the fees on top. Look at you! Uh, you look at you learning about uh, crypto. And somebody read the glossary. <laughs> yeah, look at you learning all the all the terminology. That's it. It was the first one on the S one website as well. <laughs> okay, we've got time for just. We've got time for just one stock. What did we want to go on? We had a few on the list. Who wants to call one out? Because um, I don't know. Did you want to do Printrest or Transmedics or what did you want to do? FRSX, FRSX. Uh, oh yeah, oh there's FRX as well. Yeah, let's talk about FRX. So FRX is a SPAC that uh, it's my only SPAC that I've bought. Uh, and it is going to merge with a company called Team Beachbody. I did a whole video on this, so I don't really want to go too in, into too much detail on it. But it's one of the SPACs that did very well during the downturn, mainly because it didn't really come off NAV yet. It was so new on the merger. Um, but I've kind of had a good chat with Zach about FRX, and I, I guess he went away over the past week and uh, did a bit of research on it. Um, a lot of so what will probably be saying during this one is uh, we'll be comparing it to to peloton recently so what what have you got zach what have you got in mind for frx and team beachbody well i was gonna um discuss what the the downsides of this stock is because i know a lot of people have um been mentioning this over the boards and stuff already and stock tits stock tweets as well <laughs> um but i was gonna ask what do you think the downside of this are I, know I the, think it's because uh, it's um, a lot of its a lot of its revenue comes from it being a multi-level marketeer. That's why I think the main downside of this. And I, um, I remember Bill Ackman, the good old Bill, when he um, went short on uh, Herbalife. One of the reasons was because he didn't like the multi kind of um, channel marketing that they did, the pyramid scheme. And I think FRA. X is similar in their in their marketing strategy as well, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the, uh, um, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, it's so it's gonna get. It's got one half of its business that is um, uh, digital marketing, uh, digital content. It's gonna be a content pusher, and then the other half is their physical products, which is a lot down to multi-level marketing. Uh, and it does make up half their revenue, so it, there is a lot there, and it's on a three hundred and <coughs> sorry, a three billion market valuation, um, and right now it's probably trading at three point nine four billion. So I uh, that's I think this business is uh, trading probably right on its on its valuation right now, um, but yeah, you've got to put into context the risk that half of the the cash that it's generating is all down to this multi-level marketing and you need to consider that it's quite yeah, a target th- as well and i think a lot of people once they realize you know the the implications of um pyramid schemes and what what it actually means for each each level stage of the uh, pyramid 
Um, they might not like it, but I think a lot of people just like the fact that Shaq's in it, Shaquille O'Neal, a lot of celebrity <laughs> trainers. I think See, there's I a lot of. I didn't even consider that. I didn't consider that. I would have bought. All. I would have probably bought because it has that kind of um, that 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 kind of glitz to it, that kind of celebrity kind of um, aura around it, and I think they could be also used for you know the marketing strategies and the campaigns, and that'd be brilliant. Because Sha- Shaquille O'Neal gets a lot of TV coverage as well on, on in the US. Is Shaq so, in particularly good shape? Not anymore, <laughs> I don't think. No, no I was going to say, he's not lost anymore. his... Uh, I think Shaq's him. there for the meme. He's for the you meme quality, right? <laughs> just just right. Side, I actually saw... Two. I was going to say, just as a side note, I saw that in the... Uh... <laughs> 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 I, I was just going to say, I saw that... Um, I can't remember who the news article was. I'll, we'll have to find it and post it up in the comments, but... Um, there was a there was a bit of a reveal um, about Spax that was saying a lot of um, celebrity investors and celebrities in general were being invited onto boards just to give the SPAC a bit more sort of notoriety. Um, yeah, I saw that. The quote yeah. was something like, "You only have to sit there and you'll make money." That was the quote. Yes, was that was it. Like yeah, that. don't even have oh, to that, do anything. No, sorry, that was Mark. Was that Mark Cuban that said that? Uh, I feel yeah, like it was Mark been. Cuban. Yeah, it was. Yeah, oh, it was. It, and so, um, yeah, it's bad, isn't it? Bad. But um, yeah. Yeah, that's what Shaq's doing. But yeah, uh, that's, just a quick, that's just a quick chat about uh, today's stock. Um, I didn't expect to talk about FRX just then. But uh, uh, yeah, it's a company that I know a lot about. It's um, 3 billion valuation, uh, trading at approximately 4 billion. So I feel like it's a good price. It potentially has a 33% year-on-year revenue growth. Uh, and I think it's got a very good product. I think it's going to be the Peloton killer, um, or at least it's going to take a similar market share to what Peloton has. I, I don't like Peloton. I don't like the idea that you're buying products which are eventually just going to become clothes hangers. That's my personal view on Peloton, um, and I think Beachbody does its product, uh, its uh, physical, no, sorry, its digital product much, much better than than what Peloton does right now. Peloton has every option to become, uh, it's going to be the premium product. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I think um, FRX and Beachbody are, are going to come for it. I just want to end very quickly on um, a user question from Amber107. Uh, Amber asks, what will happen to the UK investors who have invested in US stocks if their USD is devalued, I think Steve D wanted to answer this one because it does say straight under there, Cod McCod. <laughs> this is a great question. Mind if we answer this in the next podcast? So you're the one that has to answer this question right yeah. now, Steve. So I, I, I mean, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll knock it up and I'll, I'll see if you guys have anything to, to add to it. But really, I think devaluing the currency is quite a, it's quite a scary term, um, and it, 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 it sort of insinuates that that currency is going to end up being zero, and that's not really the case. Of it devaluing the currency literally just means that it's, it loses a little bit of value, and this can be a gradual thing, um, and that tends to happen with any countries that do massive amounts of printing when money printing when other countries aren't doing as much printing so at the beginning of the coronavirus when the u.s started printing the eu was printing japan was printing um the uk was printing so you didn't see that massive difference in currency you saw a gradual difference because the u.s was printing more and that is essentially what devaluing the currency is is that you are artificially changing the value of your of your currency because you are 
you are printing money. And we should see more of that, uh, unfortunately, with the with the stimulus, um, 1.9 trillion, and then a further 3 trillion. That should see um, USD slip further, because it doesn't look like the UK is going to do uh, anywhere near as much stimulus as that. The EU um, may do. Um, they, they, they are talking about doing further printing. So really, devaluing... The currency in that term isn't really anything to be scared of. That the long-term picture of FX is that the USD has been strengthened against the dollar since pretty much eternity, um, and and if you zoom out, you will see that this is merely a blip. Um, yeah. Does anybody else have anything they wanted to add on? Yeah, just a couple of quick things to add to that. Then, um, so I mean, the point Steve's making is dead right. What you really care about if you're a UK investor is the relationship between the pound and the dollar rather than the kind of intrinsic strength of the dollar. So you're less interested in the dollar going down relative to, say, gold or assets or something like that. What you really care about is exactly how many dollars you get for a pound. Um, And the more dollars you get for the pound, i.e. the weaker the dollar becomes, the better it is to be buying US equities and the worse it is to be currently owning them and possibly looking at selling them, basically. So the difference between the UK versus uh, the US is uh, the US is putting in 1.9 trillion. That's that's the latest one. I can't remember what it's put in before that, but it's a ridiculous amount. But that damage has already been done to the US dollar. Um, 1.9 trillion is going in. The UK is probably going to put in close to 550 billion, a ridiculous amount. And, and that's almost certainly going to devalue the dollar. But what I would like to add to that is something that um, Stan uh, uh, Miller said the other week. He He's uh, looking at investing in emerging markets right now because places like China and India have not done as much money printing as the West has. And I think that's a pretty good... That's why I'm loading up quite heavily into emerging markets at the moment. It, just into the ETF, just into the VFM ETF, I'm putting quite a lot in. And I think that actually, um, there's a lot, there's a lot to this. And uh, Druckermiller made a big, big case for that. He says, he says basically, the U.S. and to a point, the U.K. has borrowed off the future generations, and the future generations of these countries in the West, including the EU, are going to really suffer based on this stimulus. And we're just borrowing from taxes later. China hasn't done that. China has done nowhere near as much stimulus as what the US and the UK have done. And that could really lead to heavy growth in that sector. And it could lead to China really becoming on par with the US as far as growth. So I have loaded into VFEM a little bit there. Um, uh, And Stanley Druckermiller is rarely wrong. Uh, I think his stats, the stats on him is that he's never had a down year. He's never had a year where he's lost money. And in general, I think he's got an average of 30% year-on-year growth uh, over the S&P 500. So he's definitely one to look at. He might be one of, he must be one of the most successful investors ever. But he is, to a point, anti-US uh, at the moment. And he was very vocal on that. I felt like someone had something else to say right there. <laughs> No, Paul, I was just going to ask you what currency VFEM's held in. UK, um, domiciled island, but it's held in okay. GBP. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
the top holdings in VFM, I think, are the classics, Alibaba, uh, JD. Um, basically, the top 10 is is uh, Chinese companies. And then it goes down to uh, Asian companies that you, you just never have heard of. Right. Okay. I think we'll end it there because we're on about 55 minutes. Um, thank you very much to everybody for listening today. You can hear this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Audible, and Google Podcasts. And you, you can also watch it, hopefully, if everything loads properly on, <laughs> on YouTube as well. Uh, as ever, please uh, leave a comment on the YouTube's. Uh, comments uh, asking us some questions and we can answer some more questions like we have today from Amber and uh, please uh, give us some likes and subscribes um, add a five star review if you want to on the podcast we're really trying to push it on the podcast the YouTube bit doesn't really matter to us it's just the podcast that we really want to get going and um, as ever we're always trying to improve this uh, so we will see you next week thank you very much Thank you very much for listening and watching the Playing Footsie podcast. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible. If you have any comments or questions that you want us answering, please feel free to leave them in the YouTube comment section of the podcast. And uh, again, as ever, we're always trying to improve this. So thank you for, the pati- for, for your patience with us. And uh, we'll see you next week. You need them on. Say thank you for watching. You need them? Say thank you for watching. Thank you for watching.